Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Queen's Speech, episode 64. My name is Clive Simpson. My name's Dennis Kavanagh. And with us today, we have Neil Hanvey, MP. Neil is leader of the Alba Party in the Westminster Parliament, an MP for Kirkcaldy and Cowdenbeath. He spent 25 years in the NHS, being appointed as Divisional Nurse Director for Rare Cancer at the Royal Marston Hospital in 2005, before entering politics in 2012. He signed the Women's Pledge, opposing the Scottish Government's proposed reforms to the Gender Recognition Act in Scotland. He's openly gay and lives in Fife with his partner of nearly 30 years and their two sons. And recently, he published a piece in The National offering a scathing criticism of the Scottish Government's Hate Crime and Public Order Brackets Scotland Act 2021, saying, my world and that of women up and down Scotland will enter a very dark place. Hello, Neil. Mm. Hi, guys. How are you this morning? I'm very well. Yeah, we're pretty good. And yourself? Yeah. Yes, no, no complaints. It's a bit wet up here, but um, all good. Oh, it's sunny down here in London. The sun is shining and it promises no, to be warm later. Now, we're going to... That, that, didn't, that didn't go unnoticed watching the weather broadcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> Saying they're bloody English with their nice weather. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, I... Um, we're going to spend the majority of the time uh, talking about this uh, Scottish Hate Crime Act, but um, just a couple of things yeah. we should acknowledge. First of all, that the Tory party conference finished this week, and there were a couple of highlights from it. Steve Barclay has banned uh, trans women from female wards, or that's his intention anyway. Uh, Suella Braverman is intending to ban sex offenders from changing their name and gender. And Rishi Sunak got into some trouble with the LGBTQIA plus community spokespeople for saying a man is a man and a woman is a woman, and that's just common sense. <laughs> In Scottish news, the SNP suffered a crushing defeat in the Rutherglen by-election, which was occasioned by the sitting MP, Margaret Ferrier, having to resign due to breaking COVID regulations. She travelled up and down the country whilst having coronavirus. I think that's the, uh, I think that's mm. the story there. And uh, it mm. saw Labour reverse, um, well, basically destroy the SNP's majority there by a huge swing of over 20%. And Sir John Curtis, the UK's most eminent cephologist, said Labour would win 42 seats. This is in the Westminster Parliament, not in the Scottish Parliament, up from only one in the 2019 election, while the SNP's tally would collapse from 48 to 6 that's if those results from Rutherglen and Hamilton West are replicated in a general election, which we can never be sure of. But if that's the case, then the SNP are going to be severely reduced in Westminster. Anything else, sir, that you wanted to mention, Dennis or Neil? No, not really. Not really. I think that's about it for the week. It's been a busy week. It has been. Um, I would be interested in um, Neil's view on this, on the... Um, 
you know, what we've seen from the Conservative Party conference, we've, we've now got very clear blue water between, it would seem, between Labour uh, and Tories. With the, the Tories have obviously identified gender as a vote winner, it seems to me. Mm-hmm. The conversation has now radically changed. Mm-hmm. People have been sacked from jobs for saying what the Prime Minister said to to the, the, the conference. And it's, it's just interesting to me. I wonder where that leaves Labour and, and what they're going to do because it did occur to me that if you if you if you stripped out all the gender stuff for example from the prime minister's speech you've actually got quite a thin speech there which would probably just be remembered for cancelling the northern leg of hs2 but it's mm. it, it's this issue has almost been given as a gift by the left broadly speaking to the tories who are now sort of i think kicking it at an open goal i'd i'd, I'd, I'd be interested to know what your impression of all that was neil Sure. Um, well, I think this has been uh, a long time coming from the Conservatives. They've kind of pussyfooted around because they've had um, mm. their own backbenchers, most prominent people, such as Caroline Noakes, who have yeah. very much got on board the gender um, uh, train. And yeah. uh, so they've probably had their um, their own internal discussions to try and square where they're going to stand. But you know, the Conservatives are in a very, very difficult position. Um, mm. They're deeply unpopular um, from uh, all of the shenanigans of the former uh, and for, for, former and former former Prime Minister. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, Boris is um, boozing up during COVID and Liz Truss blowing up the economy. And so they, they need an issue um, with which they can unite around. And um so I think the voices who have, such as Kemi Badenoch, for example, who have been um, extremely clear on their position on gender recognition reform and the encroachment into the rights of women, uh, children and LGB people, um, they now have a much more prominent voice uh, within the party. And mm. um, they're being listened to because it is understood that this is this is not a side issue. Uh, and, yeah. and that's one of the, the difficulties that many of us who have been battling against this have faced uh, over a number of years is that the response has been, this is just a side issue. It's not yeah. really important. Why would you be horrible to, to trans people? Yeah. Uh, and what, what has been completely missed is that this is not a side issue. It affects over half of the population and it affects them um, adversely. Mm-hmm because yep. the, these laws uh, uh, purposely discriminate against the rights of women, their sex-based rights. And so it's really important that, they, they, that, that it's, it's now brought into the centre ground because it isn't a side issue. This is a I fundamental issue. And so the, now that the Conservatives have, have I, I guess, squared off their own internal discussions, uh, they see this as something that will resonate with the population. And once that conversation takes place, of course, it begins to spill over into discussions in the workplace uh, mm. and uh, in you know broader society. Uh, and it will become, I think, a, a galvanising factor for many people as they realise just how um, dangerous the the gender reform proposals are and of course it's not just them it's all of the the whole slate of policies around that the, mm. the hate crime and public order um uh legislation in scotland is just one of them but there's a whole range of them there's the conversion therapy discussion exactly the, 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 there's a huge uh, amount that is centered around this fundamental central 
uh, issue. And so I think um, that they've, they've, they've realised that this is something that the Labour Party are incredibly weak on. Mm. Uh, you know, they, one of their, Kate Osborne, one of their MPs uh, last week <laughs> or a week before, yeah. uh, said for the avoidance of doubt, women can have penises. Well, uh, you yeah. know, that is, that's exactly <laughs> what you're going to get if you vote for a Labour uh, government. Yeah, that, I t- we, we discussed that one, funnily enough. It's a, I, I really agree with you about, you know, people, it being treated like a side issue. And it brings to mind for me when Keir Starmer is asked about this or when he was asked about this, I think he was on LBC or some sort of talk radio. He just sort of sighed and shook his head. He was asked, you know, what is a woman? That sort of yeah. question. And he seemed genuinely disappointed and almost like it was a waste of his time to be asked that. And I got the very clear impression to use your phrase, that he did consider it a side issue and just wants to move on from it and not discuss it. It's a bit like when people write this off and say, oh, it's just a culture war, which is, you know, a personal pet hate of mine. And I think, well, you know, when, when, for example, doctors at the Tavistock are saying it's a new form of gay conversion therapy, that's not a side issue to me as a gay bloke Mm. to hear that. That's, you know, that's really important. And um, I, I, I think I think you're right. It's going to be interesting now that this has been dragged into the mainstream just to see how Labour triangulate on this. And I noticed that Labour have been pretty quiet on on this in terms of leadership yeah. statements. Anyway, I haven't seen anything from you know, given some of the um, proposals touched on the NHS, I haven't seen anything from the normally very politically savvy. Uh, and sure-footed Wes Streeting. I was sort of expecting him to say something, but it, nothing yet from the Labour Party. So uh, it'd be interesting to see if there's any movement from them um, in, with their currently ongoing yeah. conference about this. I, the, um... Yeah, well, it was a bit of a surprise. Sorry, uh, can I just come in on Wes mm, Streeting? Yep. It was a bit of a surprise mm. a few weeks ago. Wes did make an apology for the way that the issue yeah. had been um dealt with by Labour over recent years, and uh, I think he issued an apology to, to women for um, yeah. the way that the, the party had dismissed their concerns. Now, that, that I thought, was a significant development. Um, however, um, I'm, uh, I, I'm very sceptical uh, about where Labour position themselves on issues such as this, because they have a tendency to play both sides of the argument mm. in the full knowledge that they've already made up their mind, but they've got to confuse the public um, and you know get them on board on both sides so that they maximise their vote. And my concern would be that they will make all of the right noises in this discussion, but if they do get into power, uh, they will lurch straight back mm. to Stonewall Doctrine and we will be in a very difficult place. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I think that's possible. Definitely. I mean, just a couple of things I wanted to say is that uh, the last time Keir Starmer was asked that question, he sort of went, well, a woman is an adult is an adult female, so let's just move on from that. As if he'd been saying that all the time and nobody had been listening to him. Mm. And then with Kate, yeah. Kate Osborne saying that some women can have penises, well, there's a story in the Daily Mail today about how the police have been recording rapists as female, which is the end result mm. of this kind of rhetoric, this idea that this doesn't affect anybody yeah. except, of course, <clears throat> rape yeah. victims who then have their crimes, have their, their victimizers registered, recorded as women on the basis of their gender identity. I don't think that uh, Kate Osborne, that statement is going to go down as well as she thinks come election time. 
No. Mm. No. No, I, I, I mean, I, I think it's a really good point. That really, for me, illustrates that this is this movement is um, is really deliberately trying to undermine uh, the social mores and norms that we expect. And I think it's done for deliberately uh, chaotic and anarchic purposes. So you can no longer um, define anyone in law, and therefore you can't protect anyone in in law. Mm. And if we if we work on the assumption that women can be rapists who possess penises, then you know e- everything is up in the air. And it's that deliberate attempt to uh, create disorder. Um, mm. That uh, that really frustrates me about the uh, the proponents of this legislation. Yeah, me too. Me too, because it, it does rather matter how crimes are recorded, because those uh, that data is what one might use to base serious policy on. So you know, if you've got a massive surge in female sex offenders. Mm. Uh, the the corollary of that is someone says, well, when we're devoting, I don't know, spending in policing or in probation or in prisons, we, we use that data. And it is now wholly misleading in quite the same way that the census is now a joke because yeah. it featured a gender identity question couched in the bourgeois <laughs> lexicon of genderese, which was utterly impenetrable to anyone outside of mm. this elite and I do consider it's a rather elite project. This, you know, the, the people at Stonewall, on their you know cushy salaries and black tie dinners, they would have been fine with that question. But your, your average person who's not plugged into this debate is absolutely baffled. And for a, yeah. a country, a Western democracy, in 2023, to have census data that is useless, given you mean, and you'll know this, Neil. How often is census data cited in Parliament in arguments? It's the bedrock. For so it's much, absolutely, you know. absolutely, yeah. I mean, quite often speeches are uh, a member standing up with a briefing paper of stats from, you know, yeah. a, 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 an organisation that law has lobbied them, and they form the basis of all of the arguments that they advance in the chamber. Yeah. Um, so it's absolutely, it's absolutely central. Uh, yeah. To, to parliamentary discussion. That that hmm. sense. Anyway, maybe maybe that. Sorry, Clark. Yeah, I was just going to say that that census showed there was an overrepresentation of transgender people in the Muslim community of East London, which oh, was God's obviously a, a product of misunderstanding what the question was yeah. asking them. But I guess yeah, okay. in order to provide a nice segue into the main meat of our discussion, I'm guessing that under the uh, new Hate Crime Act in Scotland, everything that we've just said could count as a hate crime. Would I be right (laughs) in having that impression, Neil? Well, I mean, this is a this is. been something that has been helpfully stimulated by the the piece that I published in the National uh, on on Monday, Mm. um, because we're now um, having the discussion of what constitutes hate and what constitutes harm. And Tim Hopkins, who is the current director of um, the Equality Network in Scotland, uh, the organisation that reports directly into the Scottish government and is funded by the Scottish government uh, at the same time, Mm. um, he challenged my my, uh, assertion that the definition of harassment contained within the Act and the mechanism to test that, um, he said that that 
wasn't applicable. But but I'm sorry if you have if you establish and Dennis can correct me if I'm if I'm wrong here. But if you establish in law a test that um, assesses harassment, then it will very readily be um, used and transplanted to assess harassment in any shape or form. So whilst mm -hmm. at the moment it sits under the banner of um, uh, 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 racial harassment, it's contained in the same act as all of these other provisions. And it, it, of course, when people say, you're harassing me because uh, you know, you've know you said harmful words and, and that harm is a, a whole other discussion. Uh, mm. Um, but but you know that that is the test that lawyers will will go to. That's yeah. the arguments that will be advanced in the court. Well, this is the test that we have for harassment. Okay, it's about racial harassment, but let's use that here because it's an established test in statute. Yeah. And right. and of course and of course that's what's going to happen. So uh, this for me uh, and Tim uh, Hopkins' response uh, in a letter to the National uh, is a, a direct. Uh, attempt to to hide what is really going on here, to to to, to try and place it under what they would consider a, a, a not necessarily an innocuous provision, but under a provision that no one will question. Because of course, harassing somebody uh, on the grounds of racial hatred is absolutely unacceptable. Mm -hmm. But when you when you take that provision and you apply it to misgendering someone or having gender critical beliefs and expressing them. Uh, uh, and then all of the other uh, rather um, illiberal provisions contained within the Act about not being able to have those discussions in the privacy of your own home, then it becomes a very... Unbelievable. A very, very difficult um, uh, uh, law to predict how it will be applied. And, you know, in the absence of this legislation, we've already seen women... Uh, singled out and targeted by Police Scotland for yeah. the most ridiculous mm. things. Yeah. So put, yeah. putting up a sticker, you know, putting up yeah. a sticker to express uh, their their gender critical beliefs or to assert the rights of women. Uh, and we also know that the Scottish government have resolutely ignored women's voices throughout the whole gender mm. recognition reform process. So. Um, you know, we, we already have uh, an imbalance in the law in Scotland around aggravating factors and whether senior politicians um, uh, can have somebody arrested for calling them a name, but a woman mm. can be punched in the face uh, and body in the street in full view of the police and nothing is done. Well, you know, I'm sorry, that, that if that's the starting point and this legislation comes into play, then we are not in a good place. I, I, it, it's so bad, it, it almost makes me wonder if there'd be another Section 35 order. Um, because it, it, it is, just going back to first principles, it is a fundamental abrogation of your duty as a legislator to pass legislation which is so imprecise that it opens the door for the potential abuse of that legislation. And it rather brings to mind the Irish hate crime bill which has a circular definition of hate and basically says hate is hate which makes about as much sense as Theresa may saying brexit means brexit you know it just yeah. it doesn't help us at all as to as to what that means so this i'm afraid much like the census conversation one of the consistent features of anything inspired by queer theory is mediocrity imprecision unworkability and we've seen yeah. that in the census 
you see that in this sort of legislation. It's it's fundamental to the operation of any piece of legislation that it has very, very clearly defined terms. It's a duty mm-hmm. of a legislator to tell the police and to tell the courts how they expect them to act. Every act of parliament worth its salt, an act of the Scottish parliament worth its salt, has a very clear interpretation section um, where you yeah. can go and look up the terms. Now, that's not what's going on here. Harassment, in certainly in English law, has always been a difficult term because, unfortunately, for our Protection from Harassment Act of 97, it contains a circular definition. Uh, harassment is defined in that act as any, uh, any course of conduct, which on more than one occasion, so you have to have at least two occasions, causes mm. a person harassment, alarm, or distress. So you can see there the circularity. Harassment is harassment, alarm, and distress, where the defendant knew that that was the case or ought to have known. So a subjective and an objective mens rea, what we would call mens rea, so mental state yeah, yeah. going there. So it's yeah. always, harassment's always been a slightly odd bit of legislation because, yeah. but it sort of worked in England because it was introduced when we started to get a public discourse around serious stalking and when stalking became a subject that we talked about. So the cases that tended to be bought in the first instance were, you know, really horrible cases, normally of blokes who, who couldn't accept they'd been dumped, that sort of thing, sending, you know, 200 text messages and turning up at, um, you know, former girlfriends' places of work. But... The, the legislation did, I'm afraid, also spawn a, a, a gamut of cases that were neighbours getting into disputes with one another. Now, those neighbourhood disputes would normally end up in the county court and it'd normally be a boundary dispute or something, but they, they came into the criminal courts via this legislation. So to hang your whole legislative drive, as it were, on that word is mm. deeply, deeply, deeply unwise, in my view, absent a very clear definition. And to what I think was your very well made point there, Neil, you've got to ask when if you have a badly drafted piece of legislation, to whom are you giving that? And if you are giving it to a police force where there are already very serious questions about, yeah. frank, frankly speaking, impartiality, frankly speaking, stonewall capture, uh, frankly speaking, a failure to do anything meaningful about women being punched in the face or, in Sam Cowie's case, serious allegations of abuse perpetrated by a charity which is very closely connected. I should should emphasise serious allegations, but every piece of evidence suggests not taken tremendously seriously. It's um, it's a recipe for disaster, and I just... Do you know what? Of, of all of all the countries to do this in, I just like the idea that it's Scotland is so so strange and funny to me because it's like Scottish people are not exactly backwards in coming forwards, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. as, mm-hmm. as a nation, it's like how many yes. people are going to get arrested under this? Like it's Marion from Four Women Scotland going to end up getting nicked for saying something, you know, perfectly uncontroversial on, on Twitter. It's um. Yeah. I, I don't think you're right to be concerned, Neil. I think it's, it's a, I think it's it's a really worrying, amorphous piece of legislation. <clears throat> yeah, and and you know the the going back to the point about harassment, uh, Dennis. The 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 um, the test for harassment requires no corroboration whatsoever. It doesn't even require a pattern of behaviour or a course of conduct. It right. requires it requires a complaint from a single individual that alleges not only that they have either caused themselves uh, harm or distress, but that can be so nebulous that they think it might cause others 
harm or distress. So you, we're really into the territory of thought crime here. Uh, wow. you know, there doesn't even have to be um, a, a crime committed against an ind individual. It can be somebody complaining on behalf of a group. That is exactly it, it, the same as the Irish legislation, which which you know, says I'm, that in effect a witness can make the complaint. Yes, absolutely. So we're we're in. I mean, these are very difficult times. Uh, I hope. Uh, I'm going back to the point that you you raised around a Section 35 order. Well, that ship has sailed because this bill ah. did did achieve royal consent. So this was this legislation was passed ah. in 2021. The reason that it's only coming into effect now is because the police scratched their head for two years, wondering how on earth they were going to implement it. Uh, and so the way that it's going to be implemented is that despite all of the cuts to policing provision, all of the pressure that they have on uh, chasing down and arresting criminals, um, they have set up uh, a new hate crime unit who yeah. will, um, I, I would assume, vigorously come after anybody who says the wrong thing. Uh, and that is really very frightening. Yeah. And it's true to and, say... and I've, and, and of course, it's a limiting cycle because if they come after you for saying the wrong thing, people will be frightened to give voice to your defence yeah. because yeah. they will be prosecuted too. You know, it's it really is Stasi-like. The, well, the administration of the law or the enforcement of the law is delegated to the least experienced, most junior members of the police force who are out on, you know, yeah. on the beat, if you like. So this is not going to be something that um, that is going to be thoughtfully applied, to my way of thinking. It's something that is going to be a kind of knee-jerk reaction to, a, as you say, Neil, a single complaint. We saw in Nottingham... Yeah. Mm -hmm. And once... We, yeah. we saw in Nottingham that a woman got questioned by the police for taking a picture of... Um, a let women speak sticker a picture that was all she did unbelievable and that led to yeah. the police questioning her and it sounds like what you're saying in scotland that could lead to a criminal prosecution yes yes i mean that that is you know that's my reading of it and my concern about it obviously i can't predict um, what will happen in the courts. But when you put loose legislation like this or loose legislation like the GRR, where the mm. parameters of what, what is meant uh, by the provisions within the legislation, once there is a precedent set by a case, then that's how you know the parameters are pinned down. And without the legal profession revolting against this legislation and making it clear that it's unworkable, uh, or challenging it, hopefully through human rights legislation, because there are so mm. many elements of the um, European Convention on Human Rights that this, certainly on my reading, comes into conflict with. Um, yeah. Then you know people will be dragged through very painful and difficult and life damaging uh, legal action, um, and you know we need to find a, a, a way to support each other through this, uh, not least in um, raising funds for a defence. Uh, and we know that many of the uh, fundraising platforms now prohibit uh, anyone with gender-critical beliefs um, mm. 
using their their platforms to raise funds. I think crowd justice is probably one of the uh, the only ones that continues to do so. Uh, but you know, so all bets are off uh, mm. because of the imprecision, because of the imprecision of the language in this, and the imprecision in law at the moment on what uh, hitherto has been perfectly well understood what the word sex means. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, because until that's pinned down, until we get some clarity uh, on that in law, then we are in a, a, a very difficult position. To to your point about human rights, I, th I think you're absolutely right because it's a bit of a dog's dinner, this, isn't it? Because we know from the cases of Fostata, Bailey, so on and so forth, that any expression of you know, sex reality, gender critical, team reality, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. That's that's protected in law in, in respect of the civil rights one has under the Equality Act of, of 2010 not to be harassed or discriminated against or sacked, right? So yeah. you've got yeah. a set of civil rights there for Statter establishing, of course, that it was unlawful to have sacked Maya Fostata in those circumstances, right? Now, yeah. you you could end up in a very strange position here, couldn't you? You could end up in a situation where you can say a bit of speech and you are protected under the Equality Act, but it is simultaneously a criminal offence under the hate. I, that's just crazy. It's absolutely it is exactly right. crazy. Now, that's it before, as you, I think, wisely pointed out, one layers in the Article 9, Article 10, so respectively belief and then expression, human rights that we have, how does one yeah. possibly square this act, which it, I understand extends even to conversations at home, which is mm -hmm. really quite something as a piece of legislation. Um, how do you square that with Miller and the College of Policing, Part 1 or Part 2, with Mr Justice Knowles saying, you know, uh, we've never had a Checker or a Stasi in, in this country, or Lord Justice Sedley before that in the Director of Public Prosecutions and Redmond Bates saying freedom of speech, um, if worth the name, includes offensive speech, speech that some people find offensive. This, this act has all the appearance of running absolutely headlong into this stuff, but the problem with that is, again, as you pointed out, Neil, well, that, that's all very well in terms of sitting around and having an academic legal discussion about it, what about the life that gets ruined while this mm -hmm. goes all the way up to the Supreme Court? Because this is going to, you know, if you get the bad result in front of the sheriff, for example, you've then got to exhaust yeah. your Scottish appellate avenues. You've then got to get permission to go to the Supreme Court. At every stage, you would probably need a silk, so a King's Counsel, to argue your case. That would be hundreds mm -hmm. of thousands of pounds. Um, yeah. and what are we doing? Are we going to we're, we're going to take? Pro I bet you, bottom dollar, it'll be some middle-aged woman. It'll be a, a completely innocuous tweet. It'll be something like that, won't it? Uh, a worst-case scenario, we end up with a saga where this piece of legislation, and this is the other point, I think. You know, it's not it's not very good for Scotland, full stop, or the Scottish government, who I care about less. But it's certainly not nice for the Scottish people if you end up with a situation where this piece of legislation ends up in Strasbourg and they say, um, I'm sorry, it's not compatible with the convention rights. Yeah. Uh, and, but, but uh, you know, to, that's a really important um, analysis, uh, Dennis. But even before all of that, and this comes back to the, one of the points that I made in the article, is that the fundamental principles underpinning the Scottish Parliament and the Scotland Act uh, 
are based on the European Convention. And yeah, exactly. My contention is that it's already in conflict because they shouldn't be able to pass legislation that is in direct conflict. And so my question is, how did this get, who did this pass before in terms mm. of sign-off from a, a competency perspective? So what when, when it went through the uh, assessment within the Scottish Parliament, which law officer said, yes, this is compatible? Because it's not. Yeah. It's it's absolutely not compatible with, I, I would suggest, with the Human Rights Act, nor with the Scotland Act, because mm. it is in direct conflict or potentially uh, has the potential to be in conflict with the European Convention. So there are some serious questions about this, and that's why you know my main contention is the best way to tackle this is to campaign for its repeal and to make that um, a campaign... Uh, certainly, it's a campaign target that I hope to to get sign off from my party uh, mm. at our conference at the end of this month. I have a resolution um, calling for repeal uh, that the party will consider, uh, and I mm. hope to get their support for repeal because that's clean. You don't have to use yeah. you don't have to use any language that may be considered pejorative or harmful. You just mm. call for repeal of law because it is imprecise and unhelpful. And, yeah. and and then and that's pretty clear. But it's very difficult to campaign on something you're not allowed to talk about under threat of, prosecu- <laughs> under threat of prosecution. <laughs> yeah, you get you get nicked at your party conference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one thing that crossed uh, one thing that crossed my mind is that I can imagine uh, Kelly J Keane and Let Women Speak being a target of a lot of complaints under this law. Should she ven- oh, yeah. venture up to Scotland? But then I also wondered if a Scottish woman came to England to speak at a Let Women Speak event and was filmed making statements which members of a certain community thought were harassment, could she then be tried for those when she returns to Scotland? Could they make a report under the hate crime legislation? Well, I mean, these these are questions that we all need to wait and see uh, how they play out in within the court system. Um, you know, so for example, if um, there, there's the if I take a, a slightly tangential example, um, so uh, at the moment the complainants in the um, uh, case against Alex Salmond are protect have an anonymity um, under contempt of court legislation. And so anyone in Scotland who publishes or even hints at the names, uh, as it was alleged Craig Murray did, um, then they are subject to contempt of court um, proceedings and, uh, you know, they're uh-huh. liable for prosecution. Uh, and um, there is a sensitivity to that down south. So um, whilst it's a different legal jurisdiction, Mm. I can't go down to Parliament and stand up in Parliament and name them, for example, even under parliamentary privilege, I mean, for a whole host of reasons, not mm. least that I wouldn't want to undermine the very important provision in law for uh, victims of uh, sexual assault. Um, you know, the, there is no protection for me to do that. There's still, uh, you know, the subjudice or, or contempt of court um, mm. concerns that the clerk of the House would hold would apply. Uh, and the same applies for people publishing it abroad who are from Scotland. If they come back in, then they are liable, as I understand it, 
for, mm. for, for, for that kind of offence. So I, I think it's a really important point uh, because, the, the, you know, if I take that to the logical conclusion for myself, so if I'm in Scotland and I'm not allowed to publish anything written that might be considered hateful uh, from a gen gender critical perspective, um, but I write it when I'm in London and post it while I'm in London at work, uh, does that give me any cushion of comfort? And I'm not convinced that it would. Mm. Yeah. And it's just it's just such I, I've, I've said this before, so apologies to, to Clive. He'll be sick of me saying this. But um, framing legislation around hate uh, just as a concept is, is, is really very worrying, in my view. Whenever I hear the word hate, I always insert the word sin. Because what the, the government are doing in Scotland is effectively saying that some speech is sinful. And for the yeah. state to step into that territory, in, in, particularly in the home of the Enlightenment, which is the weirdest thing to me about the, the SNP government uh, up in Scotland with, it, with this slew of legislation, um, that is not exactly, you know, very cognizant of civil liberties. I, I just think it's very, very, very dangerous territory because it poisons the public discourse and it encourages people to see one another as hateful. It's part of the problem, it seems to me, because we, we'll never get to a solution in this debate if, you know, one side is just encouraged to think that the other side are sort of hateful bigots who, ju who just want to genocide them. That That is, mm -hmm. that is not the case. People have a series of sensible and serious concerns, which they've wanted to discuss for, for decades now and been told no debate. And yeah. it's so counterproductive when we look at the British Survey of Attitudes, you know, support for people changing birth certificates, I think it was, that, that went down dramatically, mm. something like 30%. That's where this strategy gets you. If you call, I think Brexit was an example of this as well. I think if you call half the population you know, ignorant gammons or hateful bigots. It's it's just not going to go down well. That's not what it's not what a Western democracy should look like, in my view. Well, it comes down no, to uh, an, an old criminological concept of secondary deviance. If you label people as deviants enough, they will eventually adopt that as a an identity, and they will just lean into being deviant. So, of course it's counterproductive. If you label people as hateful, mm. then there's nothing they can do to get rid of that label because you have said mm. that they're hateful. So then why would they shift on those positions? If you, if you get what I'm saying, you're, you're actually concretizing, mm. concretizing them and making them a part of somebody's sense of self, if you like, as a hateful person. So I'm I'm mm, losing yeah. my track a little bit here, but I think I I think you get the gist <laughs> of what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. But that's what we've been living with, Clive. That's yeah. that's exactly where we've been, and this formalizes that. So not only will people be able to say that, it will be asserted as as fact in law. It's just it's it's so it's so incompetent is the other thing that gets me. I mean, spare a thought for the judges, <laughs> marginalised group. But I just want to put yeah. a shout out. Like, if you are a judge in Scotland now, you are being given a piece of legislation, and you're basically being told make it work with very little guidance on how how you ought to or what it's supposed to achieve, and that. 
democratically, that, that is a fundamental problem to abrogate your duty as a legislature and just say, oh, the police and the judges will sort it out. And, you know, we don't live in a country where judges make law. But if you pass legislation that is so bad that the only way to interpret it is for, for judges to try to, to make it work, well, that, that's directly taking the power to make legislation away from voters. And I don't think judges want that role, if I'm honest. You know, it's... Um, it's really, yeah. and it's. And I should say, it's not the first time, because there's another factor here, which is that the competence of the administration up in Scotland, whether it's you know the ferry saga or you know the deposit scheme, or this is not the first piece of legislation where there's been a problem. The Supreme Court has had to effectively strike down, I think, two SNP um, acts of Parliament. One of them was the baby boxes, wasn't it? It's it, it goes back to your point, Neil, about you know who's who's sitting there doing the human rights check, who's doing the workability check, who's yeah. who's who's saying, you know, where are the civil servants or the law officers saying, look, this just won't work, or this is just a bad piece of legislation. This is it's such a common current of anything inspired by queer theory, which is what is lurking in the background here, that yeah. you end up with dross, you end up with something that just doesn't work. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, two two separate points I'd make there. One is that queer theory um, demands, uh, because it does, it doesn't assert, it demands yeah. that we all believe that um, sex is a spectrum and it's possible for people to change uh, their sex. That, that, that's, that's what it asserts. Yeah. And what this legislation does, it redefines. So that redefines what sex is. That's the, the queer theory... Um, distortion of reality mm. and what this legislation does is it redefines the harm principle and says yeah. that that there is actual harm in having a different opinion from me your expressed opinion is a, uh, is um a, 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 an unlawful harm against me and the, the judges have to interpret the legislation as it's set down. And if the legislation sets down that this is harm, that the mm. harm principle has changed uh, entirely and now means, you know, hurty words are mm. uh, a tort or, or you know, or, or a, a, a crime, insult, yeah. a crime, then, mm. um, uh, then, then that redefines a fundamental principle of, of the law. And judges are not there to question the the the, the uh, content of the law that's that's a, a before them. They are there to mm. assess whether it's applicable, and and so they may feel hamstrung. Now the judges themselves and the the legal profession uh, more generally have been through the mill with the Scottish government recently, and there were attempts yeah. to um, to politicise um, the yeah. judiciary in Scotland, and thankfully that has been. Um, mm. Dropped, uh, um, but you know th this is, uh, as I've said many times, this is uh, just one part of a, a whole slate of different pieces of legislation yeah. or attempts at legislation to undermine um, the, uh, the 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 um, 
the, the social fabric of yeah. Scotland. And, and most of that, in my view, tracks back to um, the central ambition of queer theory to distort, disrupt and uh, uh, undermine the social mores uh, of a civilised society. Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think that's absolutely right. I do, I do have to say, just on a more practical, prosaic level, I do question if any of these jokers have ever actually walked into a criminal court. Right, we are busy enough in the criminal division. We have huge backlogs because of COVID. The the, the crown courts, sheriffs, what have you, are working very hard to clear those backlogs. But you know what? The last thing we need, while we are trying to, you know, prosecute rapes and murders and robberies and so on are what will be, doubtless, 10-day human rights submissions because someone got upset with someone on the internet. It's just, I I do wonder if this this lot have any connection to what actually goes on on the ground in criminal courts. It's just ridiculous in my view. I have to ask this, no, but I think think we're talking about people who are, are fundamentally narcissistic. Yeah. And so the world that exists beyond their own boundary doesn't really matter. It's not part yeah. of it's not part of their um yeah. uh their their makeup to, to, to consider uh, mm. anything beyond their own needs. I was gonna ask, why do you think the SNP government is spending so much time trying to pass these unworkable and largely unpopular pieces of legislation? Is it is it a case of the tail wagging the dog? Because I've heard people say that this is largely due to the influence of the Greens through the Butte House Agreement. Would you? What's what's your take on it, yeah. Neil? I, I think that's probably true for some of the environmental policies that the crackpot environmental policies, so the uh, highly protected marine areas, the deposit return scheme, you know. Um, abandoning uh, fossil fuels, uh, all of that sits, I think, squarely um, within the influence of the Green Party. But this, uh, certainly the, the, the gender recognition reforms, the, this is very much, this is Nicola Sturgeon's um, uh, baby. Um, and, you know, I, I thought that I was operating in a democratic society in 2019. I I believed um, that we still had in the SNP open debate and constructive uh, ways of developing delivering policy. But it was when I raised my concerns, uh, particularly around safeguarding, and um, the uh, it was uh, the example that I gave Shirley and Somerville at the time was the case of Katie Dalatowski, who had mm. assaulted a ten-year-old girl in a supermarket toilet in my constituency, and the week or two weeks prior. Uh, had been found um, spying on children in the female toilets in Asda in her constituency. And mm. I, I entered that discussion. So this is somebody that I'd known for an, a number of years. She knew my family. I knew hers. I thought this was going to be a reasonably constructive discussion. And I was absolutely horrified uh, because the response I got was, yeah, I, I know it's difficult, but, you know, this is Nicholas' priority. So, um, you know, mm. button up, buttercup, and, and, and get on with it. And I said, I really, I can't do that, Shirley. And, you know, and I will not be silent on this. And that's when the SNP launched a smear campaign attacking me uh, and mm. attempted to prevent my um, election to Parliament. So I, I owe the SNP absolutely 
nothing in terms of um, my election, um, mm-hmm. other than you know they, what, what what they inadvertently did was by targeting me in targeting me in the way that they did. I you know was able to secure hundreds more uh, activists and a huge amount of public support because of my views on gender, and that was way back in 2019. So hmm. this is very much, this whole this whole um, issue has been live in Scotland for a number of years, and it might be um, convenient to blame. The Greens are certainly proponents of this without any question, and I think they probably go much further uh, than the SNP would do in public. People like Maggie Chapman and all of her um, hmm. comments about um, the sexualization oh God, of yeah. young children and uh, yeah. just horrendous. Um, mm. But you know, so th- they can they can attribute some of the blame uh, for for this to the to the Greens. But this has been a core policy of uh, Nicola Sturgeon, and and I can't for the life of me understand why anyone who leads a party that is supposed to be focused on independence would choose to introduce such divisive and disruptive yeah. policies and and in the way that it's been done uh, yeah. you know uh, um, you know belittling and minimizing the concerns of women who have experienced very real harms yeah. uh, from men and to, to then call them you know women who who are seeking refuge in a race, rape crisis center to, to have anyone within that organization say that they're bigotry Needs to be challenged mm. because they want to want to access single sex spaces. Uh, you know, Unbelievable. That, that, it, it really is is bewildering because there's been so much effort put into all of these laws around uh, gender, um, and there has been nothing uh, uh, serious advanced in the cause of independence. It, everything is window dressing. None of it is real, and I yeah. know that because I've been right at the heart of the machine, and I have seen how little. Uh, attention is paid to to the cause of independence. So I can only conclude, you know, that if I hold two SNP governments side by side, the Alex Salmond SNP government, whose main mission was to develop the team record and vision of a government that was going to build the confidence of the Scottish people that independence was something that was utterly achievable and a government that has taken its eye off every single ball other than the gender debate. Mm. Uh, and and that tells you where the priority is, uh, and it's certainly not independence, and it's certainly not good governance. It's it's so weird, isn't it, for a party focused on on independence? And I've I've actually seen people, Neil, say, uh, you know, really ardent pro independence Scottish people say, yeah. I used to be in favour of independence, but now I've seen what this government looks like. I would I would never vote. Um, yes, independence in a referendum. If if you know if what's on the table is is yeah. this government, it's it's an extraordinary yeah. act of self harm to the cause of the independence campaign. Yeah. And so often, and I think this is the case in lots of Australian states who've introduced things like self ID um, and so on. It's almost like governments go down the gender route as a substitute for governing. Like when when Queensland brought in self-ID, it was a fairly knackered, unmoored Labour uh, administration there who, who had lots and lots of other potential policy areas that really needed close attention, but they were quite difficult and they were quite controversial. And I think they thought that gender would be an easy win. Um, which it, it wasn't. It's backfired. Uh, Queensland looks like it's going to get its own version of the CAS report pretty soon. Um, 
But it's just, it's, it's just so odd that various governments have gone headlong into this and almost sort of done so on the basis that, look, once we get this stuff in, those uh, you know the, the great unwashed who don't like it that they'll they'll be re-educated or they'll see how good a policy it is or you know the concerns will just evaporate that that just seems to me a fundamental misunderstanding and miscalculation of just how mm-hmm. strong strongly people feel about this this issue it's it really does scream out of touch to me you know yes yes well i think nicola sturgeon possibly uh, saw this as her um version of Alex Salmon's uh, equal marriage legislation. Yeah. So this is her mo- moment in the sun to be, you know, to be seen as a cheerleader for equality and pro- yeah. being p- progressive. Uh, but I think that being the type of person that she is, um, she's unable to uh, listen to any alternative voice once she's mm. made up her mind. So, you know, your your own opinion should be kept to yourself because Nicola has made a pronouncement. Right. And um, and and because of that inability to um, you know to do broad scanning and understand the uh, the consequences and uh, at various adjacencies of conflict, mm. uh, you know she hasn't done that. She hasn't done that thinking, and nobody's prepared to do the thinking for her and tell her because they're all frightened because they know how ruthless she is or yeah. was, and yeah. and I think that that has just that that same belief has been instilled as a, a an inverted commas leadership style has been yeah. instilled in her coitery and so there is there, there is an inability to think flexibly to do critical analysis uh, of a you know profoundly complex issue and mm. because they can't do that thinking um they just all go along with it you know just march like little soldiers uh, and that's probably why they they didn't really see this coming because they exist in, you know, the proverbial echo chamber and mm. don't listen to alternate voices. But they, if I can pick up that important point Dennis made at the beginning about people not no longer supporting independence, I think I think that's certainly true to a certain extent. But the reality is, and this is a, a bit of a warning for me, is that. You know, the, what what happened was the Scottish government under Nicola Sturgeon and uh, the SNP under Nicola Sturgeon, they um, used the cause of independence to gather in broad public support for that cause and mm. then use that support um, to uh, champion these um, other uh, legislative proposals in the mistaken belief that no one would cotton on. And well, they've they've cottoned on, you know. They've they've completely woken up to the fact that nothing's been done in independence and everything's been done here. But for for people who no longer support independence for that reason, once you're independent, then you can no longer use the constitutional argument to misuse public support for it. So therefore, mm. you have to argue these important pieces of legislation on their own merits. Yeah. And we, the longer we stay uh, a part of the United Kingdom, the greater the risk is that there's a Labour administration in waiting who will come in and do exactly the same thing anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's so, true. so, so, yeah. I understand that gut reaction that people have, um, but you know, for me, you know, unless this is sorted out, what use is independence? Yeah, what, what I, use I, is absolutely. it? You know, because you know, then you're not independent. Cause you're not even allowed to think for yourself. 
Yeah, exactly. And all you've done actually is subscribe to what you can see is a global. Um, mm. I mean, as you said, it's a slate of policies, and you can see these policies in Canada. You can see them in Australia. You can see them in. New Zealand. There's nothing unique or local or original about this. This is, you know, this is this is a project. Um, whether yeah. you know, I don't mean to sound conspiratorial there, but it, it's just cohered in that in that fashion. I, I suppose that Absolutely. just moving it along a little bit um, in terms of the SNP's fortune, we should touch on the by-election um, that Clive mentioned at the, the beginning of the episode. I mean, that, that's a that's a crushing, isn't it, Neil? That's a, that's a remarkable oh, yes. result. Absolutely remarkable. It, it, I don't think any of us anticipated it would be quite, um, they would take such a, a trouncing. It'd be quite so, mm. um, so significant. Um, I, I think it's an expression, certainly from anecdotal reports that, that I've heard, you know, people who are lifelong supporters of the SNP, activists, people who actively campaigned for them, voted Labour because they wanted to send Hamza uh, a very clear message that these these policies that they have advanced on the back of um, Nicola Sturgeon's priority and the ones that they've supported um, as a consequence of the Butte House Agreement, um, mm. they have to be dispensed with. They have to go away and the party needs to focus once again on independence as its central ambition because if the SNP is not focused on it, on independence, then it is nothing. Yeah. It, you know, what exactly is that party for? That, you know, if they're going to be the gender reform party, then at least you know, change, <laughs> ch change, change your articles of association, you know, tell, the tell people what you're about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if that's what, if that's who you are, then, you know, at least be honest and frank about mm. that. And um, so, uh, I, I think that message has definitely been sent. It's been transmitted by, um, you know, the, the voters. Uh, I don't think it's being listened to. By, I was, I was um, about to ask you what, whether you thought there was any, you know, is there any chance that Yusuf will do a hard recess on this? I saw, I think, Kate Forbes and Joe Cherry and a few other people, yeah. you know, murmuring, saying, you know, this is this is a wake-up yeah. call. Is is he is he capable of doing that, do you think? Is there a chance of that? I don't think he's capable. And I don't think it would be credible even if he did. Um, right. You know, this is, the, you know, the, the, this is somebody who, as Justice Secretary, introduced this um the hate crime public order bill yeah. um who at one point did acknowledge uh, that there should be a provision uh, to protect women within it and then rolled back on that and put in the rather odd little provision that they might be able to do that if it really became a big problem and of course right. that's the the, the second the secondary bit to that is they're going to bring in um misogyny specific misogyny legislation which will include trans women so it's a misogyny bill in name intent and effect because it will be misogynistic uh, because it's not sex-based <laughs> yeah quite so quite. so uh, you know there is no credibility uh, for Hamza Yusuf to roll back on his position when it comes to gender debate I mean you know as with Nicholas Sturgeon uh, his reputation on this issue has been damaged uh, irreparably um, now, yeah. whether there are some good guys still left in the SNP, and I know a lot of good people who are still members of the party, they're still good friends of mine, and I really uh, trust their um, 
you know, their ambition for Scotland. I don't necessarily mm. trust trust their judgment on leadership candidates, but that's a separate <laughs> issue. Um, yeah, yeah. But, you know, there, there are people like Ash Reagan and Joe Cherry and Kate Forbes. Yeah. Um, but they are, you know, it's an increasingly uphill battle for them to be able to come out of this with any credibility for the SNP. You know, if they're going to strike, they need to strike soon. And mm. um, the, the conference is an opportunity for the party to either well, to demonstrate to the people of Scotland that they're going to just batten down the hatches and carry on regardless, or they're going to take cognizance of what's just happened to them and and understand that this is directly because of the leadership that has uh, been responsible for delivering these very poor policy choices and, m- most importantly, their very poor leadership of public services in Scotland. Could I could I ask Neil and sorry Clive you you probably want to say something but I've just got a very quick question if I may um th- this is obviously a remarkable result but um, but by elections do sometimes produce odd results or exaggerated yeah. results and there's been quite a lot of p- perhaps it's fair to say wild chat that this is the beginning of the end for the ASNP they'll lose. 40 seats or so on just on the ground do you have the impression that this is an atypical result or can you see this being repeated across scotland well i mean it, it, that's very difficult um to yeah. to predict because the opinion polls didn't indicate that this was going to happen and mm-hmm. i can only talk about you know my personal experience and engagement with voters over the last six months or so and certainly the public's view of the SNP is becoming, you know, increasingly, um, well, they've just kind of lost any hope with them, if I'm yeah. honest. So there's one chap I spoke to a recent um, local government violation, and uh, his words to me were, when I was asking him who he was going to vote for, and he said, I used to vote for the SNP, but they abandoned independence, so I've abandoned them. And, right. and so that that is that's the very real risk, and it goes back to that that point about if the SNP is not a party of independence, then they're they're a party of nothing, and, yeah. and the public have, have very much woken up to that. Now, I think a lot of the vote that Labour secured in this by election came tactically from the Conservatives, so I don't think the Conservatives would do as badly as they did at a general election. Um, particularly right. if they they give a strong message on gender reforms uh, and um, are able to create some recovery with their economic um, performance, but that's a that's a very steep hill to climb. Um, mm. And you know, but in some of the the, the less affluent areas, uh, th- this is um, the, the the issue of the cost of living crisis is, is certainly a concern, and I don't think the the SNP are immune from criticism on the cost of living crisis. So, mm. it, 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 I think we're in a, a position in politics in Scotland, which is incredibly difficult to predict because the gender reforms are a plague on both the SNP and Labour houses, and the economy is a plague on the SNP and the Conservative Party. So mm. it, it's very difficult to predict what will be, um, you know, how this will play out. So for, if I give you one example, so a, a lovely chat with a, a woman that uh, is known to me from Twitter. She's, you know, got a, she's a lovely lady, I have to say, um, got a union flag in her um, 
in her on her photo and uh, on her Twitter page, mm. but um, or X page, and yeah. we we met up for a, a chat, and um, you know, people like her are likely to support me because of my position on women's rights and gender reform, mm. and people who well, I won't name, you know who she would regular, regularly vote for, but she wouldn't be voting for a nationalist in any ordinary mm. situation. But people are so um, activated by what's happening uh, around women's rights, child protection uh, and LGB rights that they are willing uh, to vote for the candidate with the strongest position on that. Mm. So that's, uh, that's an unknown quantity. Um, uh, and people who are determined to see independence are obviously not voting for the SNP because a huge amount of their support just stayed at home. And so those are votes that we'll be chasing from an independence perspective. Um, so it's incredibly difficult to predict. The only way really to galvanise the independence movement going forward uh, is for there to be some form of a Scotland United, so an, an all parties and none type of ticket. For that to right. happen... The leadership of the SNP needs to be swept away by an internal mechanism and for there to be credible alternative leaders and probably in the shape of Ash Reagan, Joe Cherry and Kate Forbes. Um, yep. they, they are the only people with credibility on a whole, on a whole host of, uh, for a whole host of reasons, uh, not least they're all incredibly bright, capable women. Um, mm. uh, and I think that would perhaps um, do, uh, you know, go some way to, to heal some of the division that has happened uh, in Scotland. But it's, you know, it's not good for the SNP. Uh, it's really not good for the SNP. Mm. So they think this is just something they can dismiss as being caused by Margaret Ferrier, then they are absolutely looking in the wrong direction because this result has little to nothing to do with Margaret, um, the support for her in the constituency is still very strong. Right. Mm. Mm. Well, interesting times ahead for Scotland and for the rest of us. I think I have to say that this is uh, this is an issue that the elite may dismiss as merely a culture war, but I think it could have real impact on the election in England as well. Yeah. And I don't think a Labour win is absolutely definite in the rest of the country, to be honest with you, yeah. because of, among other things, their support for bizarre gender beliefs. Yeah. As, uh, as yeah. represented by Kate Osborne. Yes, I, I think that, you know, I, I'm, my comment on Kate Osborne's tweet um, when she, the day that she made it was, this is about, this is why Labour will lose the election. Uh, and yeah. it is, you know, that, that, uh, mm -hmm. and I think yeah. that the Conservatives seem to have woken up to that fact. I have certainly done my best to uh, alert them uh, to the, the issues around um, sex and gender in the time that I've been in Parliament. Um, and, you know, I think they've, they've now realised that this is probably the weakest position 
uh, that Labour hold because they Labour. Let's be honest, Labour have just mirrored them, mirrored them on everything else. So there isn't really there isn't really yeah. there isn't really yeah. much difference. Um, mm. uh, but the, but the the problem with Labour is that they will they will effectively say whatever they need to do to get power. It's what they do after they get power that becomes problematic. And I mm. think that this is probably the strongest campaign tactic for the Conservatives. I agree. Um, with that. Uh, uh, that they should go hard and heavy on this because n no, you know, th there isn't the support that the gender lobby in Stonewall believe there is uh, in the, the, the wider public. Mm. In fact, most people, when they, you know, of course, people are incredibly sympathetic to LGBT rights and to the trans community. Of course, they are. Nobody, mm. I don't believe that, that that many people in the UK are hateful or wish harm on any. Uh, any minority group, of yeah. course you have. You, 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 of course you have nutters in, uh, you know, in every society. But yeah. I really don't believe that there's a, a general consensus uh, that 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 those minorities are problematic. But when it encroaches into their own lives, and you know, uh, to to hark back to a word that used to be used when when I was younger, if they keep ramming it down their throats, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah if they well, keep right. banging, yeah, banging right. on about this. It yeah. just people feel really aggrieved, and they'll 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 they'll, they'll get fed up for a while. But if somebody gives them uh, a, a a way out of the madness, a way to challenge the madness, that they think, you know what, I'm really sick of hearing about this. I'm sick of seeing these multicolored flags that change every five minutes uh, mm. on the ever expanding alphabet mm. soup. Uh, you know how I'm, and people telling me that I've got to call, you know, um, this person non-binary, and I don't even understand what that means. Yeah. You know, so and bourgeois. It, when so it just bourgeois. becomes so ridiculous and yeah. so, um, you know, so so self-serving, when they have a means to kick back against that, they will take it. I, I think I think that's right. I think that's right, and I, I do think as well that the game has changed this week with Conservative Party conference quite fundamentally yes. because it, it did yes. seem to me that the Labour strategy up to this point was simply to default into government to say as little as possible to largely, yes. as you say, Neil, more or less mirror the Conservatives on some some really big areas. There's one or yes. two standout Labour policies that are recognizably labor like um vat on um, private school fees there's a west streeting announced what i thought was quite a good policy yesterday about you know teaching children to brush their teeth um and that that yes. sort of thing and that's that's you know whether you agree with that policy or not that's just classic labor stuff but in the main, the Parliamentary Labour Party, it seems to me, have sort of been in perder, and I'm sure they've been told, do not go out, do not do interviews, do not commit to any damn policy you can. And that works as long as the government are just messing up. But once the government take a strong stand on an issue of principle like this, well, you know, ball's in your court now old yeah. chap you can't yeah. i don't think you can default over this issue i don't think you can prevaricate over it anymore i can guarantee no. you i can i can almost predict it every bloody labor mp at conference is going to get the what is a woman question aren't they that's going to be the gotcha the prime minister has yeah. raised the stakes on this now i don't think there's anywhere to hide now you you've got to come up with 
align on this more convincing um, than you have. And I think if you fail to do that, I question whether you can just default into government, because I think there does have to be some public enthusiasm for you. And I, you know, I'm old enough to remember Blair getting into power. And I, I just remember drawing the comparison between him and Starmer. By this stage in the electoral cycle, we had a very good idea of what a new Labour government was going to look like under Blair. There were great big policy debates about things like the national minimum wage or the level of funding that was going to go into the NHS and all, all, mm-hmm. all those sorts of things. The Blair, the Blair government was recognisable. You knew what it was going to look like. I don't know what a Starmer government is going to look like right now. And I think that might be a problem for them. Yeah, and I don't think they know what it's going to look like either because they just say, well, we'll wait and see how much money there is to spend. Well, that's just not good enough. And your point about default is really Mm. important because just not being them, uh, as in the Conservatives, is not a compelling reason to vote for anyone. Yeah. And it hardly stokes uh, any enthusiasm, does it? And, you know, when, no. when part of the electoral game, as we saw in Rutherglen, is, is just getting your own voters out, you, you know, you need a bit of fire in your belly about something or other. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and I think that, if you know, if the Conservatives can win a stonking majority at an election with Boris Johnson saying, let's get Brexit done, and because that was yeah. the reason that they got it, and that, yeah. that's why they won, um, then... Uh, it doesn't take uh, a huge amount of um, conjecture to assume that uh, a message that says women are adult human females or something of that nature to get people to go, yeah, well, I understand that, so I'm going to vote for that. Yeah, because it, you know, if mm. you if you have a whole host of Labour politicians equivocating as they have done over the last few years about what it means to be a woman. And mm. you have a prime minister who's saying, no, actually, we know what sex means. We know how it's defined. Nobody's confused about it. You guys mm. are. Why would anybody put you in charge of anything? Yeah. If you don't understand the fundamental basics of society. Yeah. I think that's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And this has been an anti-political broadcast on behalf of the Labour Party. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, I mean, it's it's in la- the ball is in Labour's court. You know, if they yeah. want to to pander to, to this ideology, then they will pay a price. I think, uh, and if the yeah. public don't don't understand that that's what they're voting for, so it's incumbent on every other party, uh, my my own included, to point that out, then we deserve what we get. Yeah, one hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. Now, I'm looking at the time, gentlemen, and I see that we are close to one hour plus. So I think this is a good time to round things up. And I think we should give the last word to our guest today. Neil, is there something you'd like to say to the listeners of this podcast? What do you think is uh, the most important issue for voters going forward, because next year is likely to be a general election year. I think I know what you're going to say, but if you could sum it up for us. Well, first of all, I want to thank both of you for the invitation uh, to the show, Um, and not just for the invitation, but for everything that you've both been doing um, uh, over the past few years. Uh, It's been really encouraging for everyone in the movement to have heard your voices and to um, to have had that, certainly for me, to have had your support. And um, so that's important. And I would also say that to listeners, you know, you, you're not alone, even though you may feel that you're, uh, you are alone. There are 
a growing number of people who are mm. peaked and waking up to this uh, to this dangerous yeah. movement. Um, I, and in terms of the election, you know, the the, the fundamental thing is um, vote for somebody, uh, the person, a person who you believe has uh, integrity and principles uh, and understands your concerns. Slogans are not policy. Uh, yeah. and slogans and not reality. Mm. Uh, and so you really need to um, understand, dig deep into the beliefs of the, uh, the the politicians who are standing for election because there will be conservative MPs who are completely on board with um, gender ideology and queer theory. Yeah. And there are um, members of the Labour Party who... Uh, like Rosie Duffield, for example, who are you know great defenders of women's yeah. rights and protections and deserve every bit of support across the political spectrum, I would say. So if you're a Tory voter and you're in mm. Rosie Duffield's constituency and you're concerned about gender issues, vote for Rosie because yeah. no one is as fearless as yeah. she is. Uh, in many respects, um, but you know, this is this is, I think, going to be one of the greatest defining moments in history. You know, and Chris Bowboard, Chris uh, Chris Elston from Canada calls it the greatest um, medical uh, scandal uh, in a generation, in a generation, I think, in a century, really. Yeah. But the the sterilisation uh, and um, surgical mutilation of predominantly young gay people um, yeah. we have to challenge this narrative and you know please support um politicians who are unafraid to articulate your concerns that has to be the priority thank, thank you. you very much well said well it's yes well said it's been a pleasure neil having you on thank you for agreeing to come along and um Thank you for your contributions today. It's been very, very interesting. So uh, thank you to listeners, subscribers. Keep listening. Keep sharing. Keep sending me money. <laughs> because Shameless grift. No money exchanged hands for the appearance on this show. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. No, Neil, Neil wasn't paid anything for, to appear on the show. Um but yes, this stuff costs money, and uh, I'm just a pensioner. Yeah. So, um, well, you know, a young pensioner, young That's pensioner, right. still vibrant. You still got it, Clive. Okay, everyone. <laughs> I've still got it. Plenty of snap in That's my right, celery. Darling. All right, then, everyone. <laughs> Thank you very much. And uh, I shall see you next week, yes. Dennis, for another thrilling episode of Queen's Speech. Um, thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. God save the Queen, my son.